I started recording this podcast November 4th, which was the day before the Thali Supper Club. Um, and in, I think in probably one of the best decisions I have made <laughs> for like what needs to be <laughs> actual content you can process via the Substack. I, I made the decision that we got to start anew. It was deranged um, from lack of sleep. And I just wasn't, I wasn't able to really sort of articulate anything I wanted to. Um, so, so we'll start there. I know it's been, it's been a little while by, you know, a little while. I want to say it's been about a couple weeks since, which, which to be fair is a pretty long break via the Substack. Uh, but it's been a couple weeks since anything was uploaded, but we're here. We're back, baby. Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. My name is Deepa Shreder. I'm your host. And guys, guys, my sister told me something. And, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's, if, if she is kidding if she was trying to say um she 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 said something that i i found to be really really disturbing um but apparently she told me that Daylight savings. Listen, in the fall, it's a nightmare. I know everyone likes their extra quote-unquote hour. But here in Austin, Texas, where we enjoy summers, where we don't see a, a, sun, a sunset, nary a sunset until 9, 9.30 at the height of it. And that's in part because of daylight savings. What I do think is that we shouldn't turn the clocks back because here we are, here we are now in darkness, 5.30. We have until 5.30, especially in Austin, Texas, where everything moves slow. You want to get something done? Perhaps you're not even starting until one. That means you have four hours. Get the fuck out of here. What's happening? So she told me, that apparently there is going to be a bill enacted from November, she said this fall, but I think it's actually November 2023, where after, after they push the clock back, we will forever be in darkness? Now I get it, yes, fine. In the summertime, the sun will set around 8.30 instead of 9.30. But what the actual hell, right? Summer is perfect. Perfect. It's the perfect time to never, ever go to bed. And maybe I'm, I am um, <laughs> biased. 
because I'm a little bit of an insomniac at night. But also, that's why afternoon naps are invented. I am digressing. Should I take another two weeks before I start this podcast again? No, we don't have that kind of luxury anymore, okay? This podcast, this podcast, this Substack is officially, by the way, one years, one year old. It's not years, it's year. I know things. Uh, it's one year old. And moving forward, I say this a lot, but moving forward in this year old of podcasting within this Substack platform, I'd like to make sure that I get that once a week podcast out with twice, twice a week content down. It's going to be tricky, but that is our focus. One of our many focuses. That is one of our focuses <laughs> in year two. So let's get into it. Okay. So first part of this podcast, I want to talk about an article that that definitely should have been discussed when it came out, but um, as I said, it's it's been it's been an insane time, um, but it's I I would say it's like a month. No, it's not even a month old. Okay, so there's there was an article on Bon Appetit which uh, long-time listeners know know how I feel before I, <laughs> before I can even tell you what this article is about. Long-time listeners know where this is heading, I feel. Um, so it's a Bon Appetit article, and the title is, Is Natural Wine Losing Its Cool Factor? And that article will be linked in the Substack notes. Um... And the author of the uh, article is essentially uh, doing um, a strange hit piece on natural wine, I guess. Um, <laughs> punching down the BA way, to be, to be sure. Uh, so the first, the first part of the article talks about this, this thing called Deja Vin. Deja Vin. It's a V-I-N. So it's like that French vin, déjà vin, I think it's supposed to be like, though. <laughs> I minored in French. I do not speak a lick of it. It is, uh, quote unquote, it is the profound and inexplicable certainty that you keep seeing the same bottles of wine everywhere you go. In every little Instagrammy bar and bistro in America. Um, which... Uh, not 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 completely wrong right if if that is actually uh the point of this article i actually think that is something there's something interesting there you know uh because there is a lot in this natural modern natural wine movement i should say um a reminder to not only the author of this article uh to bon appetit itself and and to you and me uh natural wine um, this particular iteration, this movement may be new, but natural wine is not. Natural wine is exactly how wine got started. <laughs> it is the oldest, oldest way of making wine, where you essentially 
let grapes or fruit sit there and sort of um, let it ferment, spontaneous fermentation, if you will. Um, and as the sugars continue to uh, get eaten, um, it starts to get bubbly and fizzy and eventually alcoholic. Um, so yeah, nat- natural wine has been has been the base of how all wine, um, all alcoholic ferments have really started. And um, yeah, so that, that I feel sometimes gets lost in all of this, that this trend, quote unquote, that is happening um, is something that somebody decided to do, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And the fact of the matter is, um, it might be, it might be, be more acceptable to make a natural wine bottle as a wine producer, but, um, yeah, this is nothing new. Anyways, um, to, so if this was the point of the article where essentially they're saying this, there is a natural wine movement, however, we're seeing the same bottles, um, perhaps talking about, um, even though natural wine is opening up more lanes for more people, it, there is still, um, a certain amount of gatekeeping in it. To me, you know what? Dynamite article, some points were made. However, um, immediately in that second, second paragraph, it's, I I actually don't understand what the point of this article is. So, Um, It starts to just sort of like make fun of a lot of things that you will see in the natural wine movement, you know, um, where they're talking about the word glue, glue and how everything is called glue. And then, uh, you know, tinned fish for some reason (laughs) catches a stray here Um, and um, just just sort of like making fun of the fact that you're going to see, you know, piquettes and pet nets at these like bars that are like filled with like, you know, dudes who look like they listen to throwing fits and, you know, also like holding their stemware from the base and checking their phones. That's, that's an actual quote here in this article. Uh, if you are going to, um, make fun of someone uh, holding their stemware from the base and checking their phones. Dog, everybody's checking their phone. What are you talking about? (laughs) You got them. You got them, BA. Keep churning that good stuff out. Um, And just essentially, to me, it feels like this article is, is punching down and kind of sort of um, looking at this movement, if you want to call it a movement, uh, just like as like an outsider would. Do you know what I mean? Like as somebody who hasn't decided to not uh, think about this in any kind of cognitive matter. And it just also assumes that if you are in the game of natural wine, that you are um, a, predominantly they are talking about people who are still wealthy and white, and that is their lens of how they're looking at this particular movement. 
this particular quote unquote trend. I don't, I don't know what to call it. I, I, I don't feel like I'm using the right word. Maybe I'll find it in this podcast. So it's, it's funny because you're also like this giant big food publication, right? Uh, that could be using this article to maybe highlight, if we go back to that first point of deja vu, it could be an article about, hey, we are seeing the same kind of bottles everywhere. And we wanted to take a moment to highlight some really interesting stuff happening in this world. Um, instead, it just kind of seems like it's just shitting on the whole idea, um, which is also a, a, truly a look because uh, uh, then the, what are you saying? Like the only thing in wine we should be paying attention to are what baby boomers like and what um, has stood for centuries. The article then also makes the point that nobody actually knows the definition of natural wine, which is also true. Um, But that doesn't make it, that doesn't make it less, less meaningful, I guess. I I guess the point is um, there are less rules about natural wine. But if you were to say that makes it worse, um, I don't, that's a subjective term. That's a subjective sentence, right? Instead, what you could say, in my opinion, is that because natural wine is is essentially more nebulous and there's so many ways of sort of interpreting it, once again, this could be an article to talk about all of the very cool and less known natural wine producers because there are quite a few. This could be something where this article could actually have a point instead of just sort of making fun of what you can catch on an Instagram vibe about this particular bottle, this wine style, and not really kind of delving into, okay, well, who has, who has the power in this movement? And how do, we, how do we make sure that we see more bottles in general? Because that is the thing. This particular movement has opened the door to a lot of independent, small wine producers. Um, It even says that in this article. Natural wine's roots are in the work of doggedly independent, small production winemakers working largely without the inclusion of additives, commercialization, and financial dividend have traditionally barely entered the picture. So there is a little bit of like, yeah, this is this is opening this is opening up another lane here. Um, but that's that's kind of it. It it just kind of goes back to maybe giving you a few numbers, and then sort of getting back to really it's oeuvre. It seems like uh, with quote unquote another quote here as a certain. Uh, as a certain sort of totem of conspicuous millennial and under millennial and under consumption, 
Uh, Natural Wine is getting up there with the outdoor shopping mall. I didn't know that that was a thing. Uh, the bright white Tesla dealership ball cap. Also don't know this thing. And the frozen Roberta's wood-fired pizza. I mean, I think you only know about the frozen Roberta's wood-fired pizza if you're in New York, number one. Number two, uh, does... Am I, am I like, am I the idiot? I don't know about this bright white Tesla dealership ball cap that is apparently uh, part of the millennial and under outfit. For me, it just feels like this is somebody who rolls in these particular circles, is talking to this particular audience about, about things that most people in this country uh, do not sort of engage with millennial and and under <laughs> it's insane okay this is this is probably one of my favorite paragraphs in this particular article. i am keenly aware that there's something cruel in thinking about wine like this as though if one weren't working part-time at once again i do not know this place uva 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 in Brooklyn in 2008, or rolling thin little French cigarettes with a glass of Grolo in the 11th arrondissement in 2005, or being hand, handed a bottle of Saragia whew, with a cheeky wink from the secret fridge at London's P. Franco in 2012, parentheses, this actually happened to me, you couldn't possibly truly grok what natural wine is all about and said, I guess, typed out with no irony whatsoever, gatekeepers keep gates. Now, I'm a chef. I'm a chef with maybe a little bit more awareness about certain wine bottles. I'm a chef with a wine podcast. I'm a chef that talks to a lot of winemakers. I, I am by no means an authority or somebody who, who, who has the expertise of apparently this author for someone shitting on this movement. Um, I cannot glean what any of this means. I couldn't give it, I, 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 what's happening here? <laughs> this felt like some weird, strange, humble brag uh, sort of paragraph, but also like you're talking about how uh, this particular movement is really difficult to crack through unless you know these particular things that apparently you do as the author of this. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to unpack it as we're talking, and I simply couldn't tell you what the point of this particular paragraph is, other than to maybe make the author seem cool. Gatekeepers keep gates. Great point. That's kind of... <laughs> okay. It's, it is interesting that there's a little bit of gatekeeping just in general, right? This is a large, huge food media corporation that is 
uh, connected to an even larger media corporation. And it's really amazing to see in a Bon Appetit article about gatekeeping, especially for the past two, three years they've been having, which essentially was just like hellfire after hellfire after hellfire. Fucking just dumpsters filled with fire. So I just feel like we got to be a little bit more aware when we start saying some stuff. I get it. Bon Appetit, the corporation didn't write this. This is a this is either a freelance author or, or somebody trying to get this in. But I'm just saying a little bit of awareness, maybe the editor, somebody should maybe be like, hmm, maybe we're not the ones to talk about it like this. Number two, uh, this article is gatekeeping essentially by shaming anybody who is maybe interested in the natural wine movement by letting people know that if you are somebody that wants to learn more about it, wants to drink more wine, that you are basically the worst. Um, And then it's just essentially more of that kind of stuff until towards the end. Um, There's this idea that uh, there's there's a few people that this author interviews um, with some sort of expertise here or there. You know, there's this idea that there's a weird morality to natural wine and it's so stupid. I think it can be. I think there's a weird morality to anything that's a food trend. I think food trends in itself are terrible, mostly because they're not real. And mostly, let me just say, food trends are usually not made by chefs, just so we're very clear who should be, by the way, the ones heading up any idea of what you should be eating. It's actually articles in Bon Appetit magazines that basically tell us that these are the food trends, right? You're making fun of tinned fish, but I'm sure you've had now many lists of the top 10 tinned fish that every hot girl should be drinking. I mean, should be eating. Please, somebody start drinking tinned fish. That's going to be our food trend here at Sick Palate. It's disgusting, and no one will ever want to date you. Um, But essentially, you know, they'll do a listicle on the top 10 10 fishes to buy in America while doing this. It just just sort of, uh, I I get so frustrated because none of this is ever producer or chef-driven. All of this is just like written by some person who's been in the know who's been able to go to France and been able to go to Brooklyn in 2008 and knows where a secret fridge is. And that person gets to be part of this predominantly white, wealthy part of the food world and at the same time gets to shit on it. So that way people who are able to actually use this natural wine movement to do something really cool And maybe they don't look like a throwing fits dude, you know? Maybe they are, you know, people of color. Maybe they are queer. Maybe they are essentially just, you know, a woman trying to figure out how they can essentially make something great with not a lot of money and maybe in a part of the country that isn't a coast. There's a lot 
in this particular quote unquote movement that is not being highlighted in this article. There is a lot of essentially before this, this movement can even take off. It is a good thing for natural wine to become quote unquote more and more mainstream. This is good. This means we are opening it up. So that way, so many different types of producers there can have a chance. Now, will it be oversaturated? Will bigger wine companies be able to cash in on it? Yeah, that's unfortunately the beast of capitalism that we have built. However, artists can make art if we let them. This, uh, having an opinion in this article isn't what um, bothers me. It's just the fact that the point of view, where it's coming from, and essentially the thesis, all of it seems really skewed. All of it seems really just sort of still talking to the same audience. Bon Appetit still only talks to, I feel like, one particular demographic. And a lot of times it just doesn't include anybody back of house. Okay, I think that's, that's everything really. Um, you can read it for yourself. Uh, let me know. Let me know what you think about it. And um, that's, I, don't, I guess that's, that's all I really have to say about it. Food media, food meeting, you know. Um, the second half of this podcast I wanted to talk about, surprise, surprise, a natural wine. Um, this is a natural wine that actually uh, was a partner of ours in this Thali Supper Club event that me and Ava Pendleton of Austin Quaco threw. However, I did want to say that they did not they did not ask for me to do any kind of wine review. They didn't ask me to um feature it on the podcast. I just kind of wanted to do that on my own for two reasons. Number 1, I've been able to drink quite a bit of it by taste testing it, uh having to essentially cook with it that I I feel like I've gotten gotten the no the lay of the land. Um, so it just, it just feels like this is, a, this is a good time to talk about it. And this is also a natural wine company that I find to be unique um, and co- sort of a antithetical to what we just were talking about in one particular way. <clears throat> Excuse me. I now can't talk for a long time in this in this fucking milk toast of weather without having to clear my throat. Uh, it's just, it's just been happening. Anyways, God, I miss summer. We were only getting started, aren't we? And this whole like winter of it all. All right, let's talk red thumb, particularly red thumb Chardonnay. So I've had the advantage of being able to work with the Red Thumb team because of the Dolly Supper Club uh, event that I threw with Ava Pendleton of Austin Quaco. And it gave me a little bit of insight of where where their mission lies, right? Um, and it is a group, it's a group of wine lovers who are coming 
coming into this industry from very different angles and some angles that are shared. And essentially, what I found to be interesting is they saw they saw this natural wine movement and instead of maybe rolling their eyes um, about what maybe they didn't like about it or liked about it or whatever, they saw the opportunity to be able to create something that makes natural wine more accessible to the layman and something that is going to be delicious for for a psalm to drink, but at the same time um, doesn't doesn't feel so nebulous. And I think that is something also exciting in this whole natural wine movement, right? Because we do need those nebulous, weirdo artists that are doing something that's really specific and something that feels just really singular. And then you also need, you need a company. You need a few companies that are able to make something incredibly delicious, at the same time, incredibly accessible. And I think that's what's really exciting about companies like Red Them. Uh, They're super sustainable, um, and that's part of their huge mission. Um, And they are working on sourcing in places that are already making great wine, but also they're able to make sure that those practices when it comes to labor and basically the environment, both of those things being sustainable, which led them to go to Navarra, Spain, which they basically described as like a a working class region, a region where people are making great wine or producing great things, having great agriculture, uh, but it's the people that live there that they're servicing, right? So it's not like they are essentially making a lot of stuff to be shipped somewhere where they're not able to enjoy the things that are growing around them. And that makes a huge difference. Um, so in Navarra, Spain, they got a Tempranillo, they got a Chardonnay, they got a Rosé. And today, I want to talk about that Chardonnay. Um I really, really love this Chardonnay. Um, I think one of the reasons why I really loved it is because it it gave me something different that I haven't been able to find in this particular natural wine world. It gave me something deeply drinkable and cookable and also something that I can then also pair the food with without having to feel like, oh man, I, it, this, is, this is a bottle I love. It's super funk, but this is, this is a bottle we drink before we, we even get to dinner. This is not that bottle. This is a bottle that you're going to be able to enjoy whenever, whenever you decide you want to crack something open. Um, first things first, let's talk about some notes here. Let me pull up my little doc. So, Navarra, Spain. Navarro, Spain. Have I been saying Navarra? I might have been. It is Navarro. <laughs> Navarro, Spain. Chardonnay. Red thumb. Let's go. 
Okay, so the first thing that you get from this particular bottle is apples. Lots and lots of apples. That is maybe the first note. However, however, I will say that if you get to your second sip, which you will, you start to get a little bit of a fennel quality to it. I started drinking it and I was like, you know, yes, yes on the apples, I agree. But there is a little bit of a savory crispness to it, which got me to a, a place of fennel, right? And that's where I started to think about this Chardonnay being something that you could make some sort of seafood stock with. Because it, it gave me Chardonnay, but it also gave me heavy Pernod vibes in the best way. Which I found to be really fucking unique. Um, so when I started to think about that fennel quality, and I was thinking about... We knew, we knew me and Ava knew that we wanted to make one of the curries that we were featuring into this bouillabaisse Pondicherry style curry. Um, but this is an all vegetarian menu, so we didn't want to add seafood to it for this event. But how do you, how do you get something that needs to have those notes to a place that still has that quality that seafood brings, right? Where you get a little bit of that brine to a dish. It makes a huge difference. I took a bottle, took a bottle of Red Thumb Chardonnay, took some fermented tomato, cooked it with lots of peppercorn, bay, hit it with a little bit of fermented honey, and I made essentially the seafood liquor. And it, it was game-changing. We put it in the curry. I, I couldn't believe it. And it was that fennel-like quality of the Chardonnay that just sort of changed that curry completely. And what was also really great is after I've made this quote-unquote seafood liquor, the pairing is easy right there. You drink it with the Chardonnay. You're eating the Chardonnay. You're drinking it, too. It, it, it was perfect. Uh, tamarind test. Hell yes. It is 100% on the tamarind scale. Um, because of that almost licorice vibe, that fennel vibe, it hits tamarind notes, that sourness that tamarind can pull. I think there are certain wines that will bring the sweetness from tamarind. Um... This red thumb Chardonnay makes me feel like it's it's like such a South Indian South Indian like pairing force because in South India we tend to go towards the sour more than the sweet and especially especially in Tamil Nadu the millions the millions like to hit sour before sweet for sure 100%. And this is what that Chardonnay really brings out which is really fucking cool. Um, it's such a great example of how making a natural wine that is really drinkable, still at the same time, pretty distinct because of the region it's from, um, makes that whole idea of, of pairing more equitable, right? We get to 
talk about a lot on this podcast about taste and who has it and who gets to have it. This is a very exciting company because it's just sort of broadening those doors. We're saying, yeah, this Chardonnay, it's going to do great with your cheese plate that's going to be maybe all old world, you know, French, German cheeses. You want to go crazy, you can do it. But this is a Chardonnay that's also going to make food from Pondicherry sing. That's fucking cool. Um, yeah. So I believe you can get Red Thumb at a few places. Um, I'm going to make sure to put the um, put the website down in the notes. I will say, I will say, this is how I would do it. If you're going to get a Chardonnay bottle, don't get one. Make sure you're cooking with one. Get one for cooking. Get one for drinking while you're cooking. And get two for your dinner party. Because if you are making something booyah-based and you're just having it by yourself, that's, that's like some real serial killer vibes, right? Make, 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 make this for a dinner. <laughs> make sure that. So just get like four to six. Four to six bottles of it is what I would say. That's that's a sweet spot. Because what? October, November, we're in the ERs. ERs means you can start having oysters. You can start having, I mean, none of us can have crab apparently. That's neither here nor there. Just some stone crab, that is. Um, but um, yeah. Make sure you get your, your seafood fall vibes going four to six bottles of red them chardonnay that should do you okay i think we are all done here um thank you guys thank you for sticking with me for a year uh sorry about the uh <laughs> two-week hiatus we're back Um, And I've got some exciting content coming up for y'all. All right, we'll talk soon.